Hello, everybody. I'm Wave Reese, and good morning, and welcome to a wonderful global warming weekend right here on AM Radio 11A WFYL here in beautiful southeast Pennsylvania, the Delaware Valley. Folks, we're here on the point. Thank you for being with us, and it's showtime again in Berks County as we get into the issues of the day. Folks, every day, every Saturday, uh, every Saturday for the last five years, you'll be tuning in to us because you know that we've got the truth that comes at you at the speed of sound. We thank you so much for being with us today. We're going to talk a little bit about the similarities with Rome and how the U.S. and Rome and the similarities there so we can understand history a little bit better. We're also going to talk about legalizing drugs and uh, legalizing crime, I guess. We're going to talk a little bit about that and how the Democrats want to legalize drugs, legalize crime. And uh, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk a little bit about the potential of World War III. So we got a lot more to talk about, folks, a lot more to discuss. We're going to jump right into it. You know, there are some similarities we have with Rome. And, and you know, I think there are about 220 explanations, uh, maybe 250 or somewhere, as to why Rome fell. If you look at it, you try to understand why Rome fell. But, you know, there, there are a few that, that stand out to me, okay, because the similarities that we see, you know, that the, the, the governmental corruption is one of them. We see the governmental corruption that's there. Uh, that's part of it. Um, we also see the, the, the justice system, if you will. Justice was not mediated and handed out equally. We see that. We've seen that. That, that was the, the thing in Rome as well. Uh, we had inflation nation and currency devaluation in Rome as well as today. And and um, obviously there's there's a lot to be said of that. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's what we got to understand, that what can happen. Of course, then you have the just a sense, the, 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 the idea that uh, you also have the the, uh, the, the, the the division, if you will, of the people itself. They actually divided people. And I think there's something that, that comes out as well on that. I think that's something to talk about. You know, it's really interesting. And what happened was that China did this as well. But when they went to, when Mao Zedong wanted to destroy China, what he did was he divided China. <clears throat> they divided it into, into groups, the gangs, if you will, or tongues, if you will. They actually divided that. Okay. They call it like a tribalism, if you will. They basically separate people. They remove the sense of nationalism that people have towards a nation state, and they then bring them into their own little identity, if you will. What I identify, I identify with my my origin, where I came from. In other words, they divide people. They they weaken their sense of, of civic duty. And, and again, the breakdown of civics in this country shows a little of that as well. But when you look at the justice system, let's just take a look at that persistence for, for, for a moment here. And the uh, and how the justice system corruption, the two tier system that you see, you know, when, when you have an aide to Trump facing a prison sentence because they say they they cannot remember something. OK, when you have that and then on the on one hand, OK, you got one of his aides saying they got to go to jail because they, I can't recall. I can't remember exactly what said. So their their reluctance to remember under oath, they're, they're threatened with prison sentences. And you had Andrew McCabe and John Brennan and James Clapper uh, all lie under oath, all admit to it later, and they all got paid. They all got paid TV interviews, and they still do TV interviews. So there's the the duplicitous, the the, the 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 double standard, if you will, that's out there, and it's really it's glaring. It's absolutely glaring in the face of Americans today. They see this. 
I mean, Trump makes a makes a legitimate inquiry into a crooked business deal in in the Ukraine, and he said on the phone that this may cause a delay to the federal aid. And immediately he gets impeached. Okay, and then Joe Biden on camera on camera, Joe Biden stated uh, when he was the vice president over there in uh, in uh, in the Ukraine, he he was stated on camera that federal funds would be withheld unless a certain prosecutor was removed. Okay. So again, no problem with that. You've got Trump saying we may withhold the delay and may be withheld because because you got a you got a corruption problem in your country, and oh Biden says unless you get rid of this prosecutor, okay, we're going to withhold public uh, public you know public funds. We're going to withhold federal funds paid for by the public. So which really, if our listeners today know the difference between the two, okay, one is not. Is not very clearly okay, uh, uh, leveraging or 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 sort of a you know uh, insistence on something. The other one, but one, yeah, what Trump did was more about you know if you don't do this, you get you can't fix your corruption problem. You may you may not get the federal money, okay. Whereas when O Biden comes in there, he says unless that pro- my plane leaves, if you listen to the tape, you'll hear it. He says, look, my plane's out of here in six hours. If that prosecutor is still on the payroll, you don't get this money. How's that? All right, let me just say it like that. And then he bragged about it. So the bottom line is you've got one guy trying to strong arm a foreign leader. you got another guy saying more diplomatically what the issue might be if in case he can't fix their corruption problem. But again, our the public knows it when they see it. So our listeners now, if they didn't know then, they know now that this happened the way I say it happened. Okay. Um, most people around the country aren't getting that news anywhere. So what you're not seeing is you're not seeing that the media latching onto the fact that, yes, Andrew McCabe and John Brennan and James Clapper all lied under oath. And by the way, tune in tomorrow night on MSNBC. We'll probably have one or all of them on the show at some point. Uh, you know, and then of course, you know, you've got, you know, then you've got the same token. You don't have the same, you don't have the media elaborating that these guys lied under oath. As a matter of fact, they give them TV contracts. And then you got the same media that, that gives them the the, the interview cut co- the interview uh, paydays, and the, that same media turns around and says, uh, you know that uh, you know let's let's look at the double standard. Let's we, they're not they're not they're not uncovering the double standard in in the in the uh, what happened with Trump. I mean Trump's being <laughs> impeached, literally impeached, because he he suggested that this may happen, and literally he's impeached over this. And uh, oh, Biden is not only not impeached. So I mean, the media overlooks it altogether. You know, if if the media had a double screen, if the media actually put the call on the on the screen, they said, "Let's listen to what Trump actually said to the Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian leadership. Let's let's listen to what he said, and let's compare that with what old Biden said, and let's see. Let our public let our let the public decide which one." is leveraging the foreign leader for quid pro quo. You do this, I do that. Let's see which one le- which one is more of a leveraging and which one isn't. Okay, the public would clearly see oh, Biden's is more of a leveraging, okay? And that's, that's just a fact. I mean, but you also have the situation where, you know, Trump allegedly talked about a classified document to somebody that he shouldn't have been. Oh my goodness. And from what I understand happened, he held the document in his hand and he talked about it. I could, I mean, if I was to tell you about this, I would be, I would be breaking the law because this is still classified. But he didn't tell him what it was. He never told him what 
the document was or what was on the document. He was just kind of being a, a braggart saying, I got this, and I, you know, uh, theoretically, if I was to tell you about this, it would be that. The reality is, from what I understand, he might have mishandled something by saying, by waving it up, but the person has never seen it. And again, he's the president of the United States. He got all these documents. It's the Presidential Records Act. And we don't even know what was on the document. You have no idea what was classified on the document. In other words, what was on it. That's never been forthcoming. And anyone that knows anything about how the government classifies documents, they classify everything. Virtually everything is classified until it's declassified. That's just the way it is. But whatever the case is, so I mean, literally, it could be it could be the it could be the list that they had for lunch, or somebody had for lunch, somebody had it could be the the highlights of of, of what happened when the catering service brought lunch in. Okay, that could be that could be the classified document. I mean, who knows what it is? Well, theoretically, what would be classified? The, the catering company that the White House might be using, or or maybe some outfit that they used to provide some other service, or maybe they had a. They had a repair that was done and they had to bring somebody in or some outside vendor or whatever. We don't know what this was all about. We had no idea. But we do know that James Comey memorialized the private classified conversation with President Trump. We do know that James Comey memorialized it by giving it to the New York Times. We know that. We do know that. We also know about what Hillary Clinton did with her unsecured server and there are over 30,000 emails that were leaked. We know that, too. We also know that Hillary Clinton had to smash her blackberries under hammer to prevent any investigation as to what was released because she did not secure anything. Now, you might say, okay, Trump was a little bit of a blowhard playing, playing around like a kid plays with a whatever, you know, waving it out there, okay? But the bottom line is you really don't know what the document was. Nobody knows what the document was. Nobody knows anything. Now, you can hear... You can hear Adam Schiff try to turn around and say, look, they were the nuclear code. They were the nuclear code. So they were this, so they were that. But it was nothing. They don't know what it was, okay? And and, and honestly, I, I just think Trump's playing a game with a document because he's saying, this document means nothing, and it was, it was it's still classified because it wasn't declassified. But it's, there's nothing on here that should be classified. And so he's holding it up saying, I, I can tell you what's on this, but you know, it's classified. I can't tell you that. You know, it's just, I mean, that's what I think it is. I think it's really like a laundry list or something. I mean, some somebody, uh, some stupid list that, that something that was, should never be classified in the first place. And we all seen this meaningless information that's been declassified or classified that had to be declassified. That's what I think it is. But that's just me because I don't, I know that Trump's responsible and Trump would not hold up some classified document that had some heavy information on it. I don't believe he'd have done that. I really don't. So that being said, but there's a double standard there, okay? And again, one set of laws for the insiders, another set of law for everybody else. This is what we see. And again, getting to the division of people, okay? Like the tribalism, if you will. We have to get back to one people, one culture, one language. This is what I think brings countries together. You know, Mao Zedong knew tribalism was a cancer that he knew could kill China. And he literally uh, used it to divide the tongues and those those leaders of those tongues that all helped him get in, all were beheaded and killed, every one of them. He killed every one of them when he no longer needed them. And he put their heads over there at Tiananmen, and Tiananmen Square to make sure that he reminded everybody about what happens when you go against the mighty mouth, okay? Bottom line is, I mean, it's a cancer. It's a cancer that, that believes that 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 someone's culture or someone's 
you know, that some some characteristic that someone is born with that they have no control over. It is a cancer that that they're promoting this, okay, as a as a solution, as a solution to cure hatred and racism in our country. That is absolutely ludicrous, absolutely crazy. It's crazy talk that you have to hate in order to get rid of hate. Think about that. Just think about how ridiculous that sounds. You know, you know, it, you know, you want to you want to get rid of hatred, and you have to hate. Anyway, you you got to teach people how they're superior because of some characteristic they were born with. Absolutely wrong. Uh, you're not going to eliminate hate. You're not going to eliminate anything like that by practicing it in the first place. So let's just cut the comedy. All this is is about dividing this country and about dividing people. Okay, and these are all similarities that we had with Rome, and I think this is very very telling. Okay, very very telling. You know, we got to start doing in our in our schools anymore. Start teaching civics. You know, civics in our country. You know, we we need to know and 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 teach the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. People need to know what what the basis of our republic is, and that we are in fact a republic. People need to know if and understand because we teach that the American idea can and does work for anyone. We need to, they, our people growing up need to understand that. Instead, what we're doing is we're teaching our children to be revolutionaries, that the American idea cannot work for everyone. Because after all, it, this, it, the American idea do, does not work for any, uh, everyone equally. And so you have this notion that people are not successful because they don't, they're, 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 they're you know, because of, a, of, of oppression or hatred or something like that, which is wrong. In a mediocrity. Okay, you have in a mediocrity people getting into positions because of of characteristics that they're born with that they have no control over. In a meritocracy, you have people in positions because of what they know, because of what they bring to the table, because of their abilities, their talents, their skills, their initiative. Okay, their hard work ethic. That's what brings people along in the workplace. Uh, when somebody goes in the, when, and I, I can tell you, I was on a school board for four years. Many high school kids, when I was in high school, kids, uh, you know, they came out, they either went into trades, they went into trades, or they went to college, okay? And when they went to college, they generally went to college for business or some other uh, characteristics of, of what might expand their their intellectual uh, capacity so that they could be more decision makers. I mean, at that time, when I was in high school, they were still teaching math, Okay. Uh, we've gotten away from teaching math. Kids are no longer problem solvers. And the culture today in our institutions and in our schools, we're not teaching American, the American idea as being a, a route for success for people. Instead, instead, what we're doing is we're, we're teaching these people that they can easily promote themselves uh, because of how they're born or, or characteristics they're born with. And, and then we're teaching them to hate people that are successful because uh, they're different than they are. In other words, because we're teaching them the characteristic they're born with, uh, what they can be promoted with, they're, they're buying into that mediocrity, that that sort of culture, if you will, that that idea. They begin to hate those that are successful when they're not like them. And they start thinking, well, that's because they're, they're oppressing people. They're holding people back because of one reason or another. <clears throat> Folks, that's ridiculous, okay? Uh, that's absolutely ridiculous. And and again, unless we believe that this is truly the greatest country God gave man, then we will see it as an imposition on others, which is what others see it as, as I just stated. 
They see this country as an imposition on them, many often themselves. But they often say, well, my success is mine. But I see that our, 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 the American idea is, is an imposition on others. I can see that because I've learned that in school and in college. And so, you know, that's, it's, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't help them. It doesn't work for everybody. So you've got so many people that are growing up today that are being taught to be revolutionaries, not how to go to work and make and, and, and be and find out what's important to your boss and be about it. I mean, that's what people need to be doing. Okay. We got to know, we, you know, we, we got to know this. We got to know that and have confidence that we are in the greatest country that God gave man. If we approach this from the mindset that, that are, uh, that are imposing the American idea is wrong, that, that, then none of this is ever going to work. We can't approach this that, you know, we can't teach the American idea in school because if we do, we're imposing it on people. Well, they're obviously, they're okay with imposing other things in our schools. I mean, they're, they're okay with imposing the fact that the American idea doesn't work in their opinion. You know, there was a, there was a college professor, I can't think of her name. She was a college professor and a, 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 I want to say a humanist theologian, if you will, but she was an archaeological type expert, if you will, of, of ancient civilizations. And she was teaching in UCLA back in, I want to say the 30s or 40s, maybe the 50s, somewhere in there. <clears throat> she was teaching, a, maybe it was the 50s, as she was teaching a, uh, in UCLA about a, about a, um, about a, uh, a matriarchy, a matriarchal society, okay, that, that existed in Europe, somewhere in Europe, and how it was run uh, as, a, as a matriarchy, if you will. <clears throat> and and she, she starts talking about how great it was until it was taken over. She gets into all this, and what's interesting is when you look into the facts supporting her statements of a matriarchal society that existed in Europe in like the 1500s or 1400s, those facts don't exist. So what's interesting is she actually was promulgating the notion of a, of a civilization that happened 500 years ago on a myth, and she actually wrote this. It's really an, it's really an amazing fact. I, I mean, I looked at this because I remember hearing about this society. I went, oh, this isn't right, so... But I, I looked at, there are no facts that surround it. And I can't think of her name. It escapes me, but she, she taught at UCLA. And uh, I think if you were to search, search it some, in some ways online, you would probably find out. But you'll see what I'm talking about. And there are no facts that surround this. And so what you have in schools today, and you see this now with climate change. You see it right now with climate change. We see it right now existing with climate change. You actually have college professors teaching how climate change is killing our planet. Man-caused climate change is killing our planet. Man is killing our planet because we, we're eating too much beef, okay, because we're driving gasoline cars, because we're flying in gasoline jets or petroleum, just because we're, we're carting goods across our highways, if you will, and diesel trucks, okay, and, and we're killing our planet. We're killing it, and, and so, and, and so this, this is what they're promulgating. Why? Because they want to promote their religion, which is mother earth religion that we're killing the planet with no evidence of it at all as a matter of fact what they say to try to give evidence and credence to climate change is they always use the term a consensus of scientists we have a consensus of scientists who believe 97 percent, they say 98 percent, or 95 percent of scientists believe okay what's interesting and again They've actually created an industry with climate change. You created an industry with it. Don't miss that. We have an industry that was created, an industry that that I guess builds windmills and actually builds uh, 
uh, batteries for automobiles and bills, you know, for electric cars and electric trucks that they wanted. You know, it, it, I, I can get into this a hundred times over, and I'm just not, I don't want to over elaborate because a lot of what I talk about that on today's show. But let me just sum it up this way: uh, there is no place on planet Earth right now that is not underwater today that was not underwater 300 years ago, folks. That's a fact. That is truth that you can bank on in Denver. You can also bank on this truth in Denver. That is that we have the cleanest environment that we've ever had in the last 100 years. Yes, folks, that's right. The last 100 years, maybe even further back than that. So the fact is we have a cleaner environment than we've ever had. We have a healthier environment we've ever had. Plants and plant life is growing and expanding into a greening planet. So we have more oxygen and cleaner air than we've ever had, which because of all the foliage and plant life, we have less CO2 in the atmosphere, which by the way, feeds the oxygen. So the increase in CO2 that they claim is taking place is actually feeding the plants that feed us more oxygen. So think about that, folks, okay? The, 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 the CO2 that's increasing, that they claim is increasing, is, is, is growing the plant life that is feeding us the oxygen because the the biomass of vegetation on planet Earth that has increased in the last 40 years, the biomass that the amount of actual land mass that has actually gotten greener because of because of the atmosphere getting healthier, okay, is equivalent to the entire land mass of, of North America. My friends, that is a very healthy planet. 95% of this planet is greening. That is a very healthy planet. And nothing, the polar caps are not melting. We do not have, we do not have that risk. That's not happening. So let's just cut the comedy, okay? And let's understand that there's an ulterior motive for promoting climate change, and it isn't for the improvement and then the betterment of, of the citizens of the world, certainly of the citizens of this country in our pursuit of our happiness, okay? So anyway, getting back to the idea, and I just want to circle this back to what we're talking about. So when we're, we're we, they have been imposing this on, in our education process for the last 40 years, folks, okay? Primarily harder than any other time in the last 15 years. So you actually have them imposing this religion on us. And folks, I do resent it, as you can hear from the sound of my voice. But I think, look, we need to know historic people in our education process, like like Harriet Tubman, or, or we need to know about her, Andrew Jackson, or Tecumseh Sherman. We need to know about these people, Abraham Lincoln. We need to know about events like Okinawa. What was Okinawa? What what events? I mean, what, what was it all about? We need to understand the history, you know. These models of our past help us to remember understanding the circumstances around our history okay we did back years ago okay back when the oregon trail was was going through or the uh you know the the bozeman trail or the santa fe trail or all these other trails westward of the expansion of this country there was no satellites to tell what the weather was there were no doctors okay to help people when they got sick okay there weren't any there weren't any doctors to help treat women when they were delivering babies. If a person wanted to have five kids, if, there were, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the wife and husband wanted to have five kids, they probably had to have 10 of them or 12 of them because half the kids all died. 
because of the, the conditions at the time. So there were no doctors and certainly there were no treatments for illnesses. You realize we did not have a cure for an illness, I believe, until 1890, I think it was. That was the first time there was an actual cure for anything. Uh, the vaccination, polio vaccination that came out, uh, that I can't remember the year on that, and, and uh, our listeners can, can, uh, can duck, duck, go that and find out what it is. But I do know that when the polio vaccination came out, it was tested on uh, 2 million children, and it was okay. It was great. And then when they released the vaccination, they actually created it. And because of the lack of control, if you will, at the time, because they hadn't created any vaccine, they had never created anything like this before. So it was like there's a precise process that has to be in place. And when that process is not exactly precise, I mean, because they're doing it in a rush, it could often result in, in, in side effects, if you will, or, or damage that the vaccines do, as we have with the COVID vaccinations. They now understand the COVID vaccinations produce harmful effects, you know, like heart conditions and brain conditions and other conditions, neuro neurological conditions bone conditions, other conditions that are occurring because of vaccinations, the batches that came out caused some issues. I mean, strokes, there's more strokes today in people today than they ever had. And you can actually search this, okay? And actually, if, I don't know if the CDC actually wants to put that information out there, but when Trump runs the CDC and we get our directors in there, he'll make sure the CDC has facts that you can actually check into that are accessible. I mean, transparency is very important to people like, well, like me, America first, American first, America first individuals like myself and Donald Trump. Uh, so you want transparency like that, like you do with, with secure elections. Transparency. Right now, you don't have that. I think it would be hard. You could get the information. I'm sure it's out there, but you'd have to dig, dig, dig to get it. But I know because we all know people under 55 that have had strokes. And uh, I'm 61, and I can tell you I've never before in my life ever heard of people under 55 having strokes before, other than Joe Biden, who had, had two brain aneurysms in 1989. So he, he was, uh, Joe Biden was about 45 years old or so, I guess, in 1989. I don't know. I mean, he sees about 100 today. I just do the math on this. Bear with me here. I would say he was born in 19, why don't we say 40 Let's say 1940. If he born in 1940, then old Biden would be 49 and 89. So he was just about 50 when he had two brain aneurysms, okay? So it can occur, but most of us do not know anybody who had a stroke or any kind of a brain aneurysm or any kind of a stroke, blood clots in their bloods. Nobody, we, we none of us knew anybody under 50. All right, now we all, we all know somebody who had a stroke who's like 55 or 60 or 50. This is what's coming out, and we can attribute it, I think, we can attribute it to some of the, uh, because they now know, they now know, and, and people that have died, and some people that have died, how their blood turns into some sort of a mold, uh, and they don't understand what it is, and, and you, you know, we've all seen the reports on this, on morticians that said when they're doing the, preparing the body for the viewing and the, and the, the funeral itself, how the bodies are in such a way to where this is a problem, and and honestly, uh, it, they've never seen anything like it, and they do know it. It happens in the body when it's dead. So it's not happening when it's alive, but in some instances, it happens where people are getting blood clots. Um, I can tell you, I, I can probably count on one hand how many people I know under 55 that had a, that had a stroke. Now, folks, I can tell you that's never been the case in my life. Now, we can all understand that. So, the, the, But the bottom line is, 
getting back to what we're talking about, what was, I mean, the circumstances surrounding the history, if you will, of these people who were trying to expand this great country back in the 1850s, the 60s, the 70s. Who were these people who went to California in the gold, in the gold rush years of the 1840s and 50s? Who, who were those people that went there? They took their lives and their families. Again, they didn't have satellites. There were no there were no way they could tell the weather. There were no doctors, no treatments, no pain, no treatments for pain. When they broke something, they had to set it, and they had to suffer through pain. They had to suffer through agonized pain. They had no power tools. Everything was, was manually driven. Everything was manually everything. They had no roads. Think about that. Think about that. Think about looking at uh, like Berks County, okay? Uh, just, just picture going into Berks County. And uh, as you drive down one of the roads in Berks County, the country roads, you see all the trees and all the woods. Just picture having to go through that with your family on a, on a with with two horses in a in a, in a wagon. I, I don't know how you do it. I mean, you're trying to make ways. You go through. You try to. You're cutting down small shrubs to run them over. I mean, every mile must. It must. I mean, you're not going three miles an hour. You're probably going one mile every two hours. Okay, or three hours. Okay, literally. I mean. In the course of an entire day, you were lucky to travel 12 miles, okay? So, I mean, literally, I mean, how long would it take me to go 300 miles? Well, if it, take, if, you, if it took you an entire day to go 10 miles or 12 miles, then, then it would take you, you know, 30 days of traveling to go 300 miles. And that's 30 days of without any kind of, any kind of pleasantries at all, okay? I mean, living over a fire or living out in the weather, think about that, okay? And so, and we, when there's no roads, I mean, you're traveling in rock beds, river beds, whatever. There's no infrastructure whatsoever. Just an untamed wilderness that they were there to subdue. And had they not subdued the wilderness, okay, <clears throat> they would not have created the civilization that made this country great. Think about that. The people that went out there were the real driving pioneers that had the backbone to build a civilization. They built it. They built it. It's interesting. My wife and I lived down in Arizona for a while, and we were traveling up north to Prescott one time. And we got off the road, one of the exits over there, and uh, there was a town called Anthem. And I remember the town. We got off the exit. I said, "This little little strip mall over here." And we were talking to the uh, one of the builders that were over there, and the, they were building and selling those homes. He goes, "Oh yeah, we're building a community here." I paused and I said, "What do you mean you're building a community?" Well, we're building a community. We're going to have a hospital. We're going to have schools. You know, we're going to have shopping centers, stores, and libraries. We're going to have a community here. Fire department, police department. Okay, we're, we're going to have a community here. Okay, I mean, and, and we're going to be bringing in tradesmen and so forth. They're going to be living and basing themselves out of here so we can bring people here. This is a town that's starting up. I looked over my wife and said, this is a town that's just starting up from nothing. I've never seen anything like it. Now, of course, this was back in the you know, in, in 1999. So I would submit to you that, uh, I mean, again, they had the modern, the, the modern conveniences of the day, but, but it's really an interesting thing. I mean, that, that we actually saw that that was something really neat, but again, they had a lot more of modern technology to, to tame the wilderness, to subdue the wilderness. Okay. But again, no comfortable travel for these people back in the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s. There's no comfortable travel. An unbelievable discomfort. And think about the hygiene for people. Think about that. Think about how to clean yourself in a cold river. You know what's really amazing? You know, it could be 80 degrees outside. 
and you're going down the road, and you're like, jump into that lake. That lake water 65, 68 degrees or 71 degrees. It's still pretty cool. Let me help you, folks. We all take a shower, and I tell you what, you jump into the shower, I guarantee you got water on you that's running about 120, 130 degrees. I know I do. I got water that's running on me. I bet the water coming out of that spigot for me is about 120 degrees. I like it nice and toasty, okay? Uh, some people like it about 85 or 90, a lukewarm shower. That's lukewarm to me at 85 or 90 degrees. But I would submit to you folks, uh, back in the days of the of the traveling west of the Oregon Trail and the Bozeman Trail and whatnot, that the water temperature in those in those rivers and those water bodies that they were jumping into was probably closer to 65 degrees. I'm going to tell you what, and that's in the summer. If they were going anywhere in the fall, they weren't taking a bath. If they did, they had to be taking a bath in 58 degree water. Folks, let me tell you, I've been in the ocean at Maine. I actually went to Maine as a kid, and I put my, because my, I wanted to go in the ocean, and I put my feet down. I mean, my feet, my ankles, my bare feet, walked into that water up to my ankles. I said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I had to walk out. Literally up to my ankles, I had to get out because the ankle, because it was so cold. That water was so cold. I could, I, I, got, I had to get out. I don't know how these people got into fifth, and, and that water was 58 degrees. Let me help you folks. 60 degrees is cold water. It's cold. So again, no comfortable anything, okay? And that's what they were doing. So they, you know, just understand what they had to form, what they had to undergo. I mean, what these, what these travelers had to, had to endure, okay? And we have to understand by learning what they had to endure during those, those travels, okay? I mean, think about it. Okay, the Battle of Little Bighorn, we have to understand that and, and understand what the slaughter of buffalo on the plains was all about. I mean, why did that happen? Right or wrong, at least understand it. And I, I believe it was horribly wrong what they did there. But, but whatever the case is, these are things that occurred. The slaughter of the settlers, okay, during the fights, the tortures that they put these people through, the, the savagery that went on and the battling that went on that they fought all the time with the, the, the American Indians that were there at the time. We were constant battle with these people. This is what people endured. It was, you know, so they want to bring us back to that. And they want to say, okay, well, the winners of those battles, obviously the, the American people, that they were the ones that oppressed these poor people living on these poor civilizations today. And I want you to understand, look, we're all American. And, you know, we're all American. We need to assimilate as Americans and we need to be Americans. We need to look at each other, understand that we are one nation under God. And this is what we as a country see this as today. Now, maybe a hundred years ago, they didn't see it this way. Okay. And I'm going to give it to you this way. You know, think about this. Okay. A farmer, I'm going to tell you this way. A farmer has a mule. Okay. A farmer's taking a mule. And he's got the mule, Is the farmer's got the mule pulling a whatever, okay, some sort of a wagon or something. And he's looking, he goes, he says to the mule, or he's taking it up to the mule, it takes the mule up to the, up to the, up to the riverbank. The mule just goes, he goes through the six inches of water on the brook side, the, the, the creek bed, if you will, and they take it through the other side. And, and they do this, you know, again and again and again. And the mule gets used to the trip, and then all of a sudden the farmer goes down to the same way because he's doing it all the time, the same trek. He has to go from one field to the next. So he's trekking across his, his property, and this time we had a bunch of rains came down, and that, that creep bed's up there about six feet t deep, okay? Not, 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 not a foot deep, but six feet deep. And 
the banks are all swollen with the water and the water's racing down there at 20 miles an hour. But the mule doesn't recognize it. So the mule just jumps into, jumps into the creek bed and the mule gets brushed down the water and the farmer has to rescue the mule, get him out. The mule almost drowns. And so the mule comes out, the mule's panting, is all happy that the friendly farmer saved them. And so, you know, they went about their day, they did their thing. Now, the next time, you know, they're going back through there and that creek bed's deck back down there a foot deep or six, eight inches deep. And that mule says, ah, I ain't going to cross there. I know what happened the last time. So the mule has a wonderful memory, but no objective sense. And this is kind of like what you have today. With people that want to be mindful and, 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 and use history as a point of reference, not to learn and understand, but instead as a point of ammunition, if you will, in order that feeds their fury as to why whatever that whatever's going wrong in their life is going wrong. They can blame it on the fact that they were born the way they were born. And this is what this cultivates. It cultivates people who begin to look back at hit at America and Americans history. And they start to say, well, this is why we're, we're not happy people not pursuing our happiness here. And this is why we don't have a level of happiness. We want to be able to pursue. This is why, because after all, that this is what happened then. So they want to be able to recall history as a point of fueling their anger for today. And this is totally different. This is not 1860, this is not 1870. Okay, this is 2023. And we got to understand that this is where we're at today, folks. I mean, today is different. And people need to understand that when you don't read and write well, because your school systems aren't very good, and you can, you can definitely expect, you can definitely expect to have struggles in, in, in life. When you don't learn math, so you cannot problem solve well, in addition to not reading and writing well, then you can expect to not be able to articulate clearly or make sense when you're speaking or read and understand what is written, okay, or write and prepare something so somebody can read or certainly be able to problem solve and understand how to put out certain business issues and and to motivate and inspire sales in other areas or or success in other business processes because you can understand because you can problem solve and education gives it, it makes the, the the cognitive connections in the brain that causes people to be able to actually be productive in in, in developing citizens i mean developing and growing intellectually to where they can really get really good at their jobs when they don't come out with an education they struggle and they'll always struggle. And it could be the lack of education. It could be their lack of ability to be able to communicate effectively. It could be that they, and of course, that cultivates within them a, a sensitivity which prevents them from having any kind of self-deprecating humor to where they can't even laugh at themselves when something silly happens. And so when, and again, humor is how we connect. Humor is how we connect with everybody. We all connect through humor. And so when we have bad humor because we're sensitive or oversensitive, that creates other problems and relationships, which cause us to not be successful in the marketplace as well. There's all kinds of things that can affect us in the marketplace that have nothing to do with characteristics on how we're born with. They're instead, they're instead uh, personality characteristics that are developed through our education process or lack of an education process, our family environment as well as, uh, you know, what we understand, what is fed into us by pop culture. 
pop culture feeds and notions that go into the young people today anyway. Pop culture feeds the notions that are young people anyway. But again, you know, how are we, you know, this is what we have to understand and we have to, we have to get into that. So, you know, and I just want us to know, and we as the listeners, we understand that these elections are so important. We're going to have in a little while, I'm going to be bringing on, I'm, I'm going to try to bring on a, a fellow by the name of Jim Brophy. And we'll see if he's available in a few minutes. We're going to try to get him on, on the phone so we can chat with him. But until then, I'll, I'm going to get into something else. We have these incompetent people right now in Washington looking to legalize drugs. And I think that's just a, it's an amazing statistic that we can see. Uh, they want to legalize drugs. So they want to move to legalize drugs, you know, safe crack pipes and marijuana reform and safe injection sites, but they want to ban menthol cigarettes. I, I just think that's an, been very, very important. Now, the FDA has been pushing this long-awaited ban, and I think Biden's on board with it. So he wants to legalize drugs and drug paraphernalia as well as safe injection sites, but he does, but he wants to get rid of methyl cigarettes. This is the upside down logic that our listeners don't. Well, this is like this is why who we vote for matters because if you've got somebody to that that wants to run for office, whether they're making public policy and they believe that legalizing drugs and safe injection sites and drug paraphernalia is good, while at the same time they want to get rid of methyl cigarettes. Now, I'm not saying methyl cigarettes are healthy. But I mean, if you're going to get rid of menthol cigarettes, you should be able to, you should want to get rid of the worst of all of this, which is drug use, okay? Because it's drug overdoses and fentanyl overdoses, which are killing Americans by the droves a whole lot faster than cigarettes are. I mean, we have over 100,000 overdoses a year with fentanyl. I don't think we have that many people dying of lung cancer every year. I don't know. I haven't looked at those statistics, but I could submit folks, uh, menthol cigarettes and, you know, lung cancer is a problem, but even if it was 100,000 or 200,000 people dying a year of, 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 you know, lung cancer due to cigarette smoking, uh, you know, we can all know that just fentanyl alone overdoses are 100,000 plus a year. In addition to that, you've got all kinds of other drug overdoses, as well as all kinds of illegal activity that spawned from illegal drugs, that, which would happen from legalizing drugs. So when you legalize drugs, you're going to legalize crime, which is another thing that Democrats do in these societies. They legalize they legalize crime, and I think that's compelling. Uh, you have a fallen, you have L.A., which is now a fallen city. So what they've done is they've gotten rid of of what they call loitering signs. So uh, you've got people, but they, the city has done it. They have decriminalized loitering with the intent to work as a prostitute. So they've actually done that. And so what it does is it it, it, it brings on more illegal loitering, and obviously with the intent to work with illegal uh, activity. This is what it does. Lord, when you when you when you decriminalize loitering, you're going to get more of it. When you decriminalize shoplifting, you're going to get more of it. When you decriminalize drug paraphernalia, you're going to get more of it. When you decriminalize things, you get more of it. If they think that loitering is going to bring about healthy behavior, then then these are the people that are making public policy. So we have to understand that people that believe that loitering brings about healthy public behavior. Well, if we if we think those people that, that believe that, we don't want to be voting those people in the office as policymakers. I think what we ought to be doing is encouraging these people to go get a job at the marketplace. They should actually take the subways in Philadelphia once or twice so they can see how unsafe they really are. They should actually get the murder statistics right now in Chicago, in cities like Chicago or Philadelphia. Take them for the last 10 years, tally up all the murders that took place in all these cities. Tally up those murders and figure out and, and compare it with the total fatalities 
okay, the total the total fatalities, not casualties, fatalities that occurred in the Afghan war and the Iraq war. You're going to find that we suffered more fatalities in the murders in Chicago in 10 years than we had in, in, in death fatalities in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Folks, these are truths. I believe when you look at Philadelphia, it's a little closer. I think there may be more in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, but it's close. But I know Chicago and, and, you know, has more deaths and murders in Chicago in 10 years than you've had. If you just tally them up, you'll see it. Okay. That's an amazing statistic. Okay. So understand that these are truths. Okay. So when you've got the people that are running the public policy in Chicago and Philadelphia that don't understand that the murder rates are so high because they created an unsafe environment for citizens, where are they in protecting their citizens? Where are they in keeping the subways safe? Again, these policymakers that are making these that believe that decriminalizing, you know, of loitering and decriminalizing, you know, uh, drug paraphernalia, decriminalizing uh, shoplifting, those people that are decriminalizing should have to ride those subways to see the new criminal activity that's taking place in the subways because these people have been, a lot of their actions that they used to be arrested and investigated for are now have been decriminalized. So now you cannot use those as, as, as methods of investigating and this these are facts that occur so understand that folks this is an amazing statistic but when you're comparing who to vote for in public office i would submit that anyone who believes it's okay to decriminalize crime is, is to, to actually decriminalize crime they believe that's okay then their goal and their intent is to increase crime folks don't miss it if your goal is to de if your goal is to increase crime and criminal activity then the first thing you're going to do is decriminalize it. When you look at what happened in Prohibition when they decriminalized alcohol, okay, what what happened, I should say they criminalized alcohol, they actually created a criminal activity with alcohol, which was really an amazing thing where Prohibition actually created organized crime. But you can see all along when you decriminalize activity, you get more of it, okay? Even though it, they created the organized crime and the crime activity, you had a whole lot less of this activity because it was a criminal event, okay? Today, alcoholism is rampant in this country. Drug use is rampant in this country. About 50% of this country drinks alcohol regularly. 50%. That's the statistic that I have. 50%. Now, of those 50% that drink regularly, uh, I believe I heard one out of four is an alcoholic. So you can do the math on that, okay? So you can say about 12 or 13% of this country of the drinking age adults are alcoholics. We can also know that that other factors that are that are rampant in the society, whether it be diabetes or anything else, that, that occurs because of bad uh, eating habits. But anytime you've got any kind of destructive habit, you're gonna you can expect it to have a detrimental effect on our health. Well, we're gonna reach out to Jim Brophy right now, and uh, let's see if we can get Jim on the phone. Okay, we've got Jim Brophy on the phone as well as Chris Christine Nyman. Uh, uh, she's on the phone as well. They're both running for Boyertown School Board, and uh, they're both running to get on the school board. Chris has been on for a while. I, I served on the school board with Christine Nyman for a while. She's a great school board director and a great salt-of-the-earth individual right out of Berks County. And I'm going to introduce her first, and then we'll get to Jim Brophy. So, uh, Christine, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, how long you've been on the school board and uh, and why it's important to vote for you. Okay. Uh, yes, I am Christine Nyman. I've lived in the Boyertown School District my entire life. I've raised my son here in the Boyertown School District. I now have three grandchildren, one who has graduated. 
uh, this past year, and I have two others that are still in the Boyertown School District. It's my best interest to keep going on here for the lobby years, for the parents, for the parents' rates on this school district, and to keep our education focused on what is best for our children, our learning. We need math. We need science. We need history. History the way it was written. That's right. That's really good, Christine. I agree with you on all of that, and we appreciate that. So, uh, you know, we're going to get with a little bit, uh, and, I, and Christine, I think you did a great job. I was on the school board with you, and I mean, you're very supportive of uh, academic excellence in our schools, and you want to see more of that, right, Christine? Yes, I do. We need to make our students excel beyond. That's good, and I agree. I agree. Let's get to this with Jim Brophy a little bit. Thank you, Christine, okay? <laughs> yes, please get out and vote for Christine Nyman on Election Day Tuesday. Thank you, Christine. <laughs> Bye. Okay, so uh, Jim, let's t- tell the voters a little bit about yourself, Jim. Okay, for me, that uh, I've I've been on the board since 2019. Uh, actually, you're recruiting me, so I, I guess I get you know a little bit about me. Uh, part of the thing, like I moved up here in, in '84, and part of the reason I moved into the area was because of the school district. Uh, I wanted my kids to be in a good school district, which where town is was, and and I put the idea is we got to keep it. We got to we've got to move it forward. We got to get we've got we've got the improvements we have to make. So I'm I'm retired now. As I was in the nuclear power industry, senior project manager. Uh, so I look a lot at detail, and uh, the, the we're, there's some things we have to to get better on. Matt, you're right, uh, Clay. Math is one of the things we've got to work on. Because yeah, it, math uh, math helps you in your cognitive skills. And it's not only just math; it also helps you in reasoning. But we've we have in the last since we've been on in 2019. We've done some things and we've curriculum around and worked with the administration and we've actually improved our standing in the state. And, and I know that's not a, a thing to jump up and down on because that it's a relative issue on how you moved it up, but we have done that and we're looking at our classes. We've increased our AT classes and we've introduced a, a dual degree program, which means kids can actually go to start to get a college degree while they're still in high school. We've had some graduate and uh, that, that's one of those things we can actually go for and maybe start using homebrews to do that and, and get kids moving out. But all those things, you know, that if we don't if we don't stay there and keep you know keep uh, focusing on education and not activism, which is what I see from most of my opponents, uh, we're not going to get anywhere. We we want kids to go out, excel, and be able to move on merit and not go out and and move on how much how they can yell about something they don't like. And I really, it really sickens me to see that that that, that that's happened in a lot of schools, and and the, the standards continue to drop on that. We drop to the lowest common denominator, and that's not the way you get kids better. You bring everybody up, and that's was, that's where we're trying to get. Yeah, what's really interesting too, and you and I were chatting about this earlier. Yeah, the general notion that in the city of Baltimore there wasn't one child at thirteen Idaho that was proficient in math, and what yep. makes it yep. worse, what makes it even worse, yeah. That the U.S. government has reduced and lowered the bar of proficiency. Okay, so yeah. proficiency. What 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 proficiency was defined in the seventies, Jim? Back when you were yeah, up, yeah. Uh, what it is today. And before the department, now, Jim Brophy has <laughs> made math for the Department of Education. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of things in that in that created. The city of Philadelphia has done much better. I mean, they got the same problems there. A lot of your urban areas are in that. And and the idea is that the, the belief is that you, that you drop the standards and then you make things better. And I just can't get that my hand head wrapped around that. Well, it's because you don't. 
Why? Because you're an objective individual who actually has got given ability to think. Are any of these people, yep. they don't have any of that. I mean, you've got people that want to legalize drug paraphernalia, legalize drugs, legalize yeah. safe injection sites, but the same token, they want all mental cigarettes. I mean, yeah. you get, get worse sensibility there. You know what? Yeah, yeah. Uplifting, decriminalized ordering, or decriminalizing crime. Don't they know that yeah. decriminalizing crime is going to bring more of that activity? It's the, it's the illegal activity that prevents, prevents a, a blowout activity, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it just, and it starts down in schools. Yeah. I mean, we have to, there's a reason that, that people are pulling kids out and taking their kids, they, they want choice and they want to go to different other schools. It, it is part of the reason is we don't attack what's wrong with the public schools. That's right. And we have to do that. We have to bring that stuff around. And instead of, instead of saying run away from it, That's we right. have to go in here, you know, get our hands dirty and actually fix it. And that, that's where we need to go. And it, there, there doesn't seem to be enough people that want to do it that way, Clay. And that, I, I'm going to I'm going to do it that way. Well, I'm just staying here, keep my hands dirty, and keep fighting. Well, you and Christine and and Mary and Scott, we, we were unable to get on the phone today. But the three of you here in Bordertown, now I can't vote for you because uh, I know. But uh, yeah. you know, I'll be voting for you. I'll be voting for the other two. But I I'm just uh, I'm just really happy to know that you guys are are running and, and the likes of you are running. So we need to get you elected. So please get out and vote on election day, Tuesday, and uh, we'll go from there. In the meantime, we have to end it there, everybody. We thank you so much for being with us today on this beautiful global warming Saturday morning, right here on AM radio, 11 WFYL. As you've tuned in every, every Saturday morning, the last five years. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate it. We're looking forward to tuning in later today. We have a great conversation we've had with the, uh, Republican uh, uh, commit County Commissioners running for Burns County Commissioner. We had a great conversation. We're going to have a great conversation with them as well. So tune in later today for that. And I look forward to seeing you then on our show, The Watchman. But until now, I should say from bye for now, uh, you know, and we'll see you next week on The Point for Jim Brophy and for Christine Nyman. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.